Domino's Mix and Match menu has items for every occasion. Flaked on your friend's open mic night? Flaky bread twists and molten lava cake should do the trick. Soccer team duty? Medium two-topping pizzas and stuffed cheesy bread are your best defense. Is it your dog's half birthday? Celebrate his biggish day with savory sandwiches and tender specialty chicken. Mix and match two or more items for $6.99 each at Domino's. Ask for this offer two-item minimum prices, participation, delivery area, and charges may vary. Bone and wings, Red Bull pasta, and pan pizza will cost extra. Local stores have delivery fees and can charge extra for some menu items. Welcome to Women Winning Divorce with your host, Heather Quick. Heather brings over 20 years of law experience that advocates and empowers women to achieve happier and healthier lives. Each week, we provide knowledge and guidance on different aspects of family law to help lead women through the difficult and emotional legal challenges that they are facing. Listen in as she discusses issues including divorce, custody, alimony, paternity, narcissism, mediation, and other family law issues to provide insight on the journey of women winning divorce. Welcome to Women Winning Divorce. Each week, we discuss family law issues with some of the top female divorce attorneys around the country. I'm Heather Quick, owner and attorney of Florida Women's Law Group. Today, we have the honor of being joined by Catherine Miller, the top family law attorney and owner of Miller Law Group in New York. She's practiced collaborative family law for over 24 years and is the host of her own podcast, The Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thanks for having me, Heather. I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. Well, before we get started, I'd love to hear a little bit about really who you are and why you do what you do. Well, I went to law school because I was interested in justice, and I figured out in the orientation week that that is not what law school was going to be about. And I come from a family of therapists, and I've always been interested in the intersection of the law where it meets the family. And to me, that meant working in the family law. And I got a job after law school working in a family law firm, and I was in court a lot. In fact, I practiced in front of Judge Judy a lot when she was sitting on the bench. And oh so- my God, that is such a fascinating <laughs> I'm going to make sure I note that down. Like I finally met somebody who actually practiced in front of Judge Judy. Yeah. And so, but, you know, it gives you a sense of the tenor of the kinds (laughs) of cases and what my courtroom experience was like. And so I looked around for something that would help my clients. And I took a mediation training a couple of years after I've been, I started working and I thought it was really interesting. And I started to try to integrate those mediative ideas of settling based on what was important to the people rather than maybe the, the laws uh, and focusing on, on their interests and, and what motivated them. And in every single case, I ran into the same problem. And that problem was the other lawyer. And it wasn't that they were bad lawyers or bad people. You know, they were also trying to help settle the case. And we just couldn't get on the same page, Heather, about what criteria we were going to use to help the families resolve these conflicts. And it's quite complicated. As you know, there's a lot that goes into a divorce, a lot of different facets. And so I struggled in this way for 10 years. Got a lot more litigation experience, did some mediations. And then about 10 years later, I got divorced myself. And I, that experience, we were unable to mediate um, because my husband felt that he, as a non-lawyer, he was a step behind. And we ended up settling in a very collaborative way, even though it was really quite high conflict. 
And after that experience, they thought, you know what, I can't do this anymore. And I don't think I can be a lawyer anymore. I think, and I thought, you know, I quit my job and I looked around for something else to do with my life. And I took another mediation training. I got remarried. I moved, you know, a bunch of things happened in my life while I looked for what I was going to do now that I was a grown up, right? <laughs> and, the, and being a lawyer wasn't going to work for me. And then a friend of mine said, you know, come take this collaborative law training. And I said, come on, how's it going to be any different? Remember 10 years, same problem, every case, other lawyer. It's just a bunch of lawyers sitting around trying to settle the case. And she said, I'm going to come. And I didn't have anything better to do, Heather. So I went. And within 15 <laughs> minutes, uh, it felt like I had been trying, like I'd come home. Like this was where I, the way I'd been trying to work my entire career. And that's what inspired me to form my own law practice and, and to help people try to find resolutions. It's not always possible, but but it often is to find a resolution that works for them based on their own personal criteria, help disentangle and help calm down some of that conflict that comes up so that we can find solutions that really work for people. Well, Catherine, and that's so fascinating and really admirable because it's not easy uh, at all to bring down the level. Um, now, I'm not one to instigate a lot of it. However, I have been known to be extremely adversarial and not particularly cooperative or collaborative in, in my litigation history. But... Um, I think that there are some cases that just have to have to go one way, but then the majority of cases, given that opportunity to see it from a bigger picture, benefits our clients in a lot of ways when, when we can get to that point, for sure. I think that's true. And I think that you have to think about it. I don't know how many cases settle percentage-wise in your state, but in my state, it's 97. 97% of divorces in New York settle before a judge makes a decision after a trial. And nationwide, the statistic is 95%. That's a huge, if you thought you were going to, you had a 95% chance of winning the lottery, wouldn't you buy all the lottery tickets you possibly could? <laughs> makes a lot of sense. And so if you think about the the process is a negotiation rather than a litigation and litigation being kind of like a, a negotiation tactic, then, mm -hmm. you know, that's a way to think about how it is that we're going to get to a result that works for people. And another thing, Heather, that I think is really important is that if, if our clients are parents and they have children together, then they're going to have to continue that relationship for the rest of their lives. And, and that is something I think that they really care about. And that's really important to them. And sometimes maybe they lose sight of that because they're so angry or they're so hurt. They're so afraid that they're, that they get really uh, aggravated and, and um, angry. And sometimes it's really hard to see the, those, those common interests and we all know they're there. And so what I think is that if we can help them, I think taking the high road is actually a stronger, puts you in a stronger negotiation position than than taking the low road. But sometimes you have to litigate. We litigate sometimes, you know, some people require the discipline of the court. Some people require the process and the protections that the court puts in place. Other people require different kinds of protections that we can put into place in a consensual dispute resolution process. I agree. I think many times, that we need some people benefit from the formality and the structure in a courtroom. And now in this for particular individuals, now, you know, we represent women only, of course, and I know that 
that that's not your practice. You represent men and women, but many times from our perspective, early on in the case, sometimes there's a necessity to have some court rulings on things. And it really helps both parties see one, hey, this is the person, the decision maker, if you're unable to come to terms, whether it goes in your favor or not, you see how they made that decision and they made a decision and it hopefully gain some point of view. And for individuals who really don't think judges can make them do anything, it can be helpful. <laughs> I completely agree with that. I mean, you know, for one, for, there's really two things that you're talking about. One is that it gives, it's a reality check, right? <laughs> and and that this person isn't necessarily going to see it your way and that there's going to be a hopefully balanced consideration of both people's perspective and an opportunity to see how the other side, I hate that word, but you know, the other, the, right, the, the opposing lawyer and, and mm -hmm. his or her client are, is going to present because of course the courtroom is a terrible place to find out that the other side has a good point. Let's see that early on before trial, right? Like let's try to consider those things. And so reality check is really there. And, and it makes, I think also people see that it kind of narrows the playing field in terms of what's possible. You know, in, in the alternative dispute resolution world, we have these concepts called the BATNA and the WATNA. The BATNA is the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. And of course, the WATNA is the worst mm -hmm. alternative to a negotiated agreement. And the courtroom can be either your BATNA or your WATNA, but you know what it is, you know what it looks like, you know how it works, and it just creates kind of a guardrail on, on the negotiation process, I think is what you're talking about. Yes, and I do think it is, it's part of, can be very much part of a, a, a strategy to get to a settlement. Sometimes it really does, it, it's a helpful tool knowing what's out there because I think it's really hard on our clients in so many ways because they just don't know and understand the reality of the courtroom, the formality, but the speed with which, you know, the judges are going to have to hear your case your whole life. And, you know, they may condense it to eight hours, which is still a really long time for the court to give you. And that, um, you know, TV, movies, things on the legal process are, you know, shows over in an hour. So with commercial breaks. So it's like, well, then they just like investigate a murder and then do one trial and then another trial and got them convicted in an hour. Like, why is our With commercial breaks. With commercial <laughs> breaks, right. So... I think that, you know, a lot of what we do have to do and face is helping our clients see the reality of, of the process, but that there are lots of options, litigation being an option, sometimes that you're forced into by the other side, but definitely settlement mediation and with that idea of looking, you know, at your long term, you know, how much is this really going to matter in 10 years? the issue that you really can't kind of move past. Exactly. And that's what I was talking about earlier on in, in my career when I started to realize that that those those things that really do matter will be long lasting. And if we could try to uncover them earlier than later, then people are going to spend less money and have a happier experience getting through the result. Because, you know, one thing that I think is really and I'm curious about your thoughts about this, Heather, but it can be very damaging for people is to feel like they behave like their worst selves when they were getting divorced. You know, you know, one of the things that we really try to focus on is people's dignity. And, and that means our clients and the other side, because 
I think that every, we all yearn to maintain our dignity and to hold on to our dignity. And that's a whole political conversation there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that we could probably agree that that's true, regardless of our politics. And that um, if we if we can give our clients the opportunity to find that dignity in themselves and hold and and stay with it the whole time so that they feel good about how they were as a parent and good about how they were as a human being and good as how they were as a client and just throughout the entire process i think that's something that everybody wins from i agree i have a, a really good friend who's a psychologist as well um who says you know unfortunately but she said but really true that within divorce there's so often you just kind of have like this temporary insanity and and it's and that makes it difficult for people because they aren't showing up as their best self all That's the right. time and 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 it's hard for them to see past that and and I know that that makes that difficult and you know I know I've had conversations with clients in the past that well you know, what you're telling me, no, we're not going to do that. And yes, these things could be done, but look at yourself in the mirror. Really? Is that the person that you are that you want to hide this from people on your team? But then how does that make you look if you got caught? But what if you didn't even get caught? You know, you weren't acting out of integrity. And I don't think you ever went that way. You know, you play the long game, you do take the high road and it does pay off. And I have found that to be true. Um, definitely the majority of the time, practically all the time. And, and, yeah, and but I want to be really clear for your listeners, Heather, that taking the high road doesn't mean giving in. It doesn't mean rolling over. It doesn't mean being a doormat. It doesn't mean doing what you've always done, go along to get along. I do not mean that. I want to be super, super clear about that, that taking the high road means focusing on what's important to you, not fighting for fighting's sake, but fighting when it does matter or not fighting, but sticking up for yourself on the things that matter and laying it down when it matters, but not letting, picking a fight for something that doesn't matter. Oh, they're interested in the pink towels. Let them freaking have the pink towels. But when it comes to time with your kids or where they go to school or maintaining your lifestyle in a way that feels like it holds on to the essence of how you've promised, uh, what you've promised to your children, I am not talking about giving up on that. I just want to be really clear about that. Well, and I appreciate that, Catherine, because I agree. And, you know, the, the name of this podcast, Women Winning Divorce, is because if you achieve what you want, you do win. And it does, it's not about making someone else lose because see, that, exactly. that's how I look at it differently. Just like you said, you're sticking up for yourself because you know what you want for you. We're not in it to make them lose because that's not the point of winning in the way I look at it. That's exactly right. And, and I think that, you know, sometimes for our women clients, feel that they've been bullied during during the during the marriage right and and sometimes they're like well can you stick up for you know can you stick up and you know the thing that what I usually say and I don't know how you see is listen I'm not going to out bully a bully but I, I am going to change the rules of the game we're going to change it so that we're not playing by his rules and we don't let him frame the conversation in a way that he wins every single time. That's what we do, but we're not going to do it by yelling and screaming and waving our arms all around and threatening. That's not how to win at that battle, in my personal opinion. No, I agree. We, you can outsmart them most of the time. Very predictable ways exactly. that people behave, as I know you know. Um, so absolutely. Well, as we go... Um, as we go into break and after break, I want to talk to you um, about 
really some of the reasons that, you know, you see people get divorced. And I think we have it as the top six reasons. So we'll follow up with that after the break. All right, Catherine, so let's get into it. Let's talk about why people get divorced. We've both been doing this a really long time. And I have a feeling that if we, you know, as we join our heads together and talk about the six or the top reasons, I think I've got six listed. I know there's so many, but you know, why we hear that people end their marriage and what we've seen. Um, and I'd love to, to get your feedback on that. And, you know, what do you see as maybe the, the most common reason the most common issue that you see? Well, I actually think that the most common issue is communication problems and that the communication problems show up in a variety of different ways that are some of the reasons that we see like money and sex and, you know, those kinds of things. But I think that a failure to figure out how to communicate in a way that doesn't feel like a win-lose argument all the time is the biggest problem. I agree with you. And you know what? Okay, let's talk about, okay, a reason for divorce, communication. Now, don't you find, though, interestingly enough, that then it makes it so difficult sometimes to co-parent and to do all of the things after the divorce because the whole reason, the whole reason that the marriage broke down was communication. I do. That is exactly right. And one of the things that I'm going to ask you about is that, you know, some, I think people are, my clients are sometimes really, really frustrated that their spouses are acting the way they act. And, and, and it's, they're somehow surprised that it's not better now that they've decided to divorce them. And, and so I think that one of the things that we can do as part of the divorce process is teach them new communication modes and give them tools. Like sometimes, you know, there's an app for that, or, you know, remember to a, a really big thing in my own divorce was every verbal conversation. I followed up with an email just so I had a written trail and, and, and he could never say to me, well, he did say, but when he did say to me, I never agreed to that. I'd say, well, actually back on October 10th, we had this email exchange and you said yes to that. And here I can show you. And I'm not saying I'm not willing to negotiate from there, but this is why I believe that we had agreed on this, that kind of thing. So I think that we can give them tools and we probably should because there are tools for that. Somehow easier to communicate when you're divorced if you really try. I think so. And, you know, talking about communication though, because I think our clients, um, you know, have this belief or conception that one, communication will be easier afterwards. And sometimes it is. Or, but that like, oh, I'm just going to be done. I'm going to be free. But as we know, if you have children, like that's just not the case. No. And that the communication now, even though it was one way during the marriage, however um, dysfunctional it was, well, now it's under this scrutiny of looking through the court and when we're dealing with kids for later on, if there's issues. So it, it becomes so important that you, we get you're right, like they get a different mode of communication or use the apps, use the technology to help them, you know, really navigate that process. Absolutely. And I mean, this is another place though, in post 
what we call post-judgment, post after the divorce is over, where taking the high road really, really helps and clarity, clarity, clarity. So being really clear, not letting them trigger you no matter what, you're not married to that person anymore. They don't get to trigger you anymore. And to find mm -hmm. a way to let that go, whether or not that's just meditation, prayer, therapy, coaching, whatever it is. It took me seven years before I could not have the internal reaction, you know, like before I wasn't triggered and I had to walk myself through it. But to be really, really clear that it's not about you. This is about being a good parent for your kids, showing up for your kids, not making it worse for them and managing as best you can. And I think that's helpful advice. And that's, you know, really the tools on, yeah, not giving them that power to trigger you. Exactly. Anymore. And holding on to those powers or the, the phrase that I do love that I learned from a, a Tony Robbins uh, event was, you know, people say that you let them push your buttons. He's like, they're your buttons. Hold on to your buttons and stop giving people your buttons to let them push them. And, you know, I tell that to my kids when they're fighting. And now they'll tell me if I, mom, hold on to your buttons. Like, stop letting us push your buttons, you know? And um, it, and it can make you like kind of laugh at yourself. And you're like, you're right. You're right. I, I gave control of my emotions to you. And that's, that's on me. So that's it's exactly right. Me. I mean, it sounds a little new agey, but you know, that they take your power. When you let them do that, and that's just that's not right. They don't have you. Don't, you have control over that. Absolutely, absolutely. So, one of the you know, as one of the common reasons that we hear and see for the marriage ending, that I I think is obviously everything kind of comes under the umbrella of communication, like you said, but definitely finances for sure. I, so, I think it's a big one. I do too. And I, this is why I think everybody should at least talk about a prenup or talk about money before they get married. And whether or not you sign a prenup or you don't, it's sort of beside the, the point. The point is to have these conversations so that you don't get divorced because of a difference in money, money mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Some people like to save money. Some people like to live a high lifestyle. Some people think credit is a sin. Some people think credit is the way to live. You know, there are there are so many. Some people think that college should be paid for for their kids. Other people think that the kids should pay for college on their own. These are the kinds of things that I think can, once you get into a marriage, can be a real wake up call uh, that you have some compatibility issues. And you know what? If you started early on with a conversation in a pre-marriage kind of way and you did it, you could find a way to have it all, right? You could find mm -hmm. a way to accommodate each other when you're in love and, you feel, and you're not feeling resentful and you're just saying, you know, we have a problem we need to solve because I like to save and you like to go on fancy vacations. How can we work this out in a way I think it's totally doable. But once you've got so much history in the marriage and so much dispute and it feels personal, how would you spend that money when you know it's important to me to save? Like it's a personal attack. Then it's too far gone to really bring it back together. I had a couple of mediation once and we, I had signed a set, I had written a separation agreement for them a, a, and, and we were, they were like on the verge of signing it. And I said to them, you know, if we could work out this money thing, would you want to stay married? And they were like, yeah. And I'm like, well, you can, you know, because let's look at your budgets. You can, you can have it all. You can do this and you can do that. And it's all within the budget. And, and, and we did it. So we changed from a divorce mediation to a, let's figure out a budgeting conversation. They did it and they're still married. And uh, those were, that was a unique circumstance because I could tell that they still really cared a lot about each other. They weren't so far gone, Heather, that the resentment was 
killing them. But most people, once it gets past a certain point, it just there's just no returning. I'm afraid. I think you're right. Well, because then too much happens, right? Too many hurt feelings, too much builds up over time. Things are said, actions taken, that it is too hard to come back. And I think that I had that exact same um, discussion on the finances surrounding like the prenup conversation, because what I've learned is as well, like everybody else has beliefs about money and they come into the marriage, just like we have beliefs about, you know, raising kids. We don't really think about when we don't have kids till we have kids. And then it's kind of like, Oh, maybe we should talk about that, but we didn't really know like that we have completely different philosophies. Um, But I think that the money is, is such a big one because, I mean, you got to have it, like you got to use it, you got to pay bills and have the things. And, and then once you combine finances and then if you're unable, you know, to talk about it or really deal with the things in the same way and, and bring emotion into it, it, and I think that's just for like your regular run of the, you know, for any kind of like a marriage, not where we're talking about where there is financial abuse and, and you know, total control and over the money, which is, those are very difficult situations. I think more often than not, women find themselves in, and that that can be really a a different, more in-depth conversation. For sure. I mean, that's on the scale of domestic violence, where you have a real controlling situation. And we're just talking here, I'm, at least I'm just talking here, I think about a different uh, approach to money and a different uh, way of managing it. And money means so much in our society, besides a way to pay the bills. You know, it's how we uh, think about success and power and how we measure ourselves based on our neighbors and our families of origin and each other. And so I think that's where we sometimes get into trouble. Our, our clients get into trouble because it, the money means more than just the way to pay the bills. It does. And it's, I, I will be surprised if you haven't heard this before, because I've heard it many times. Wait, that, that, that that's my retirement. He's the one who cashed his in and spent all of his. And For sure. I mean, at least in Florida, no, no, it, it belongs to both of you. You guys been married long since you started saving and spending. It, it, it it's both sides, and that's a real wake up call that is very difficult for many women to hear, as well as you know, no, 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 this is the way it goes. And they'll come tell me, well, no, he said all that retirement is his, and it's like, well, no, it, it's actually half yours. So, you know, those are, like you said, the the beliefs and they attach more, you know, I've worked so hard. I did this. You didn't do this. And so now we've attached all this emotion to the money that then really creates a lot of issues that then I think can lead to divorce. Well, for sure. Because for one thing, money in that circumstance means security. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you're saying, wait a second, you want to get divorced? That's fine. But you're going to rob me of my security on top of that? Like, that's not happening. But of course, it is happening. Now, so in, in Florida, Catherine, when, you know, we um, plead for divorce, one of the things you have to prove, and, and it's a no-fault state now, so you don't really have to actually prove it, but you do have to say that, you know, irreconcilable differences. I think there was a movie once on one of that or whatever, but um, that's really the standard in Florida. And, and, and you know, I, I think that means a lot of different things to a lot of people, but I, obviously that's a reason for divorce. Like they just don't work anymore. They're incompatible. What do you, what do you think about that? 
Uh, yeah, I may think that's a complicated question. In, in New York, it's an irretrievable breakdown of the marriage. And I think that comes down again to, to communication. And to me, it just means that we're just not working together anymore. We're not a team anymore. And, and but the thing that's ironic about it is that I get a lot of people who come and say, you know, I can't point, I wish you'd hit me, right? I wish you'd hit me, or I wish there'd be an affair or something like that, that I could point to and say, this is the reason this is over, instead of just coming apart and uh, not being a good unit anymore. And, and it's so hard, I think, for some people to identify what it is that it is when it's when the marriage is, has broken down, you know, before I got married for the first time, my grandmother said to me, you know, Catherine, you can never get divorced. And it was ironic because I was a divorce lawyer at the time. And I said to her, you know, uh, you know, if I'm unhappy, I'm going to get divorced. And she said, no, family comes first. And what mm -hmm. she meant was that if I had to be an alcoholic or a drug addict or have affairs with men or women or both at the same time, whatever I had <laughs> to do, you know, I had to do that because keeping the family together was the most important thing. And I was, in fact, the first person in my family to ever get divorced ever. Like, wow. like going back like as many generations as we have records for and we there are a lot of records and and so that was a really big thing to do and and it was really felt like oh my god I'm taking this really big step uh, of course I was a divorce lawyer so I had knew at least I knew what I was talking about and I think that for some people that's really hard but you know what other the thing that meant for me that that what I thought was I my parents are going to are going to pass away and my children are going to grow up and leave home and I'm going to be left alone with this guy and that filled my heart with dread and to me, that was enough of a breakdown of the marriage to to do what I needed to do. Well, and that is so helpful to hear because you know once your marriage, you know when you when it's irretrievably broken, it means there's nothing left to do. There's 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 nothing left that you can do to repair it within your power, um, and in a way that you can go on living and being fulfilled. Like you said, um, I think that that is, and that can be, it means something different for everybody, you know, whether it's you grow apart, you have different views. I think it, it's not just one thing, it builds, right? And it just, and yeah. then, and then all of a sudden it's like, no, you know, we're, we're done. So um, I, I know that that one's the hard one because like you said, there's not this shining answer. Like somebody said, oh, this is exactly why it broke. Because that's usually, there's more than one thing. And usually the thing they say that the reason it broke, like, you know, infidelity is not the reason it broke. It, it, that, that was the effect of like all of the other pain and hurt and incompatibility and, and things that, that, you know, went on beforehand. It's a symptom, right? Yes. Not the cause. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Well, on the next segment, we'll continue this conversation because there are still more reasons. I know that everybody is people get divorced all the time. So we'll be right back. We are back on women winning divorce and continuing our discussion on the common causes of divorce, Catherine Miller. So Catherine, we left off talking about irretrievably broken marriages and irreconcilable differences. And 
we left off talking kind of, you know, hey, the symptoms are what maybe some people do say was the cause of the breakup of the marriage. Um, but I think what we hear so often is infidelity, the cheating on either their side or both. Uh, that can be something that's very difficult to overcome for couples. Absolutely. I think that feels for many people like the ultimate betrayal, right? And and I think that people stray into infidelity for a variety of reasons. Um, but I, I think it's mostly a yearning for intimacy. And, and when a couple grows apart, either because children have come in and it feels like one parent is has changed usually her love interests to the children. <laughs> it's obviously different, but that same kind of attentiveness that might've once been uh, given to a spouse is now really uh, lavished on the children. And then that mom is exhausted at the end of the day and doesn't have any energy left over for anybody else or uh, work interests go in different ways or there's a maybe a, a what's something that feels like a financial betrayal that then plays out in in a sexual relationship outside the marriage, um, but it is really really hard to overcome that. Some couples can do that, um, but many find it it feels like something that's impossible to overcome. Well, it's such a foundation of a marriage, but at the end of the day, I, I think you know you really touched on it because that intimacy which is, that's not really sex, it's that closeness, it's that, it's that togetherness that really does happen, um, you know, marriages do, you know, kind of ebb and flow, and I, I was having, thankfully, quite some time ago, that young kids, but my goodness, you know, everybody's sleep deprived, there's so much going on, and I think that marriage takes work, as we both know, and, and it takes a reckoning, you know, recognizing, hey, this is going on right now, it's not forever, but, you know, many times it just can then go on for a long time, you know, and the kids become the primary focus of the, the mother or and or dad, but either way to, to kind of replace the marriage. And then all of a sudden, a lot of that just goes away. I know, um, you know, some people blame, oh, well, we let our kids sleep in the bed forever and ever. And then we never, you know, had any time together. Well, that, that can happen, right? That's true. Yeah. We don't have any time. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, it's a really hard thing to talk about. If you have se sexual incompatibility, you know, you don't, mm -hmm. you just don't like it that much, or you don't click together chemically or, or whatever anymore, or you never really did. And you, and you got married anyway. And, and it's just so an awkward conversation to have and going to couples counseling and talking about sex can feel, you know, just shameful and, and embarrassing. And, and so, uh, I think, though, that if people are listening to this and are thinking, yeah, that's me, uh, that it's worth working on and trying because uh, divorce is hard. I, I definitely I, I think I'm a, the, uh, the poster child for you shouldn't stay married if you're married to the wrong person, you know, <laughs> no matter what pressure you're under. Right. Uh, uh, but divorce is not easy and it's often the right decision, but it's not always the right decision. And I think when you're going through the divorce, you should think, listen, I did everything I could and feel like you really tried. And, and if it, it, it feels like you both tried even better, because I think you'll feel a lot better about the whole thing afterwards. If you feel like 
you really did. And so it's worth having a difficult conversation or two uh, in, in in order to try to rectify something that might possibly be put back on track. I, I feel like I sound like a, you know, don't get divorced in this whole podcast has been about that. I don't mean that at all. What I mean is that it really makes sense to, since you took the time, you invested in the marriage, you had children together, you combined your finances and your families. And so when you try, decide to take that apart, to, because it's hard to do, it's really a good idea to be thoughtful about why you're doing it and how you're going to do that. No, and I completely agree because it's it's worth it. And if you can't have the conversation with your spouse about this, that 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 you're not going to it's not going to magically change that you're able to have this conversation. And you know, if you're in a subsequent relationship, it not, you know, I mean, it takes both people to make it and to break it. I do believe maybe they're not equal, you know, parts because it's very often somebody's like, I, I didn't do anything wrong, but we both know it can be difficult. And sometimes maybe that conversation is one, at least you try to have with a counselor to understand if there is that lack of intimacy or incompatibility with your spouse, because that's not going to just magically change. Most likely, and it is going to be a hard conversation. And, you know, if I agree, if somebody's listening, they're thinking that's me, it's like, at least try to talk to a counselor on then maybe teaching you how to talk about it because lives aren't going to know, you know, you've never really had that conversation or know how to bring it up without being ashamed or, you know, like you said, that shamefulness, because then I, I do think eventually there, there comes a point and there's probably going to be some infidelity. Um, and sometimes you hear this, I'm sure you've heard this because I know I have, you know, well, it's an emotional affair or just like you were saying, the finances, it was felt like a financial affair. And, but that's what does tend to happen, you know? And so, and you feel so hurt and it's very hard, like you said, to come back from that because now you feel so, the trust is so violated that you really can't come back from that. And I think that is a definitely one of the top reasons I, I hear women coming to our office, whether it's on their part or on their husband's like, yeah, I was just that we can't come or we've tried to rebuild after an affair and, and just can't. Absolutely. Because, you know, one thing that you're talking about, Heather, is uh, mistrust and mistrust is malignant, right? So once you mistrust in a, in a relationship in one area, in the area of your sexual relationship or money, it just spreads everywhere. You know, and I've had many of our male clients say, well, you know, I know I had an affair, but I've never done anything with the money. I can't understand why she doesn't trust me with regard to the money. <laughs> and it's like, well, she just doesn't trust you, dude. You know, but it goes the other way. I mean, I think the studies show that more women, more wives than husbands have affairs. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so the idea that it's the cheating gut husband is wrong. I mean, right. People have affairs because they feel, I think, um, that they that they that lack of intimacy, they don't have that connection. They yearn to have that connection and intimacy on an emotional or physical level that they had before, or maybe they never had it, but that that is just something a human need. And we're all looking for that. And hopefully yeah, we can and find it in our marriages, but not always. True. And in that attention and the things that we just sometimes, I think, you know, overlook and, 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 and the longer you overlook those important things in a marriage, then it just goes away. Right. Or you go somewhere else because you're, and you know, you have those opportunities that otherwise probably wouldn't 
have been susceptible to if you're feeling fulfilled and you know loved and respected within a marriage um i think yeah. that that does tend to lead so often well let me ask you a question heather if that's okay sure, sure. <laughs> you know i think that there could be people listening who are thinking yeah you know they're describing me but uh you know i can live with it until the kids leave home all right and and so what do you think about that I have my, I have an opinion, but I'd like to hear what you think. So I, um, I, I think that's just, you know, you're in denial is if you're telling yourself that because whatever the issues are in your marriage, that is what you're teaching your children. And that, you know, you learn how to be married, how to be a parent, basically from your family of origin until you are able to learn from other resources, right? But you have to learn what you grow up with. Um, as your primary understanding. And so if you scream at each other, you argue, you share no, you show no love and affection, that is exactly what I think you're modeling to your children. Your daughters are like, oh, okay, that's, that's okay to be treated like that. Your sons are like, and it's okay to treat a woman like that because that's what I've learned and they seem to be okay with it and they put up with it. So that to me, is worse than if you're just staying in it and, and not not impressioning you know the children so I, I think it affects your children more so adversely to stay in a bad relationship and a dysfunctional relationship than to get divorced and move on and, and show them that that was not okay yeah what do you I, I agree with that I think that's a really important remembering that we're modeling for our children all the time but I don't think you do your kids really a, a big favor uh, with that either. I remember teaching a class in law school a number of years ago, and and many of the students in the class said, you know, my parents, it's a bunch of them talking, so a bunch of mys, right? Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of students are like, they stayed married until I left for college. And that was so much worse because then I felt like, you know, I was responsible for keeping them together. Me leaving meant that, that they were no longer together. And then they were calling me. One person described her mother coming and sleeping with her in her freshman roommate you know, to get away from her father. I was like, you put so much on those kids and it makes it seem like that you, they're responsible for the marriage and that, and then their leaving meant that it failed. I mean, what, what kind of life lesson is that? And I also don't think it's very likely uh, if it's that you're going to make it all that way. If your kids are nine and 11, we're talking nine years of white knuckling it and something else is going to happen in that time, or you're going to get sick. Or, or your spouses. And I think that is just not a realistic way to live your lives. This is the only life we know we're given and every single minute of it counts. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, but very many people have that mindset that that's, then it's okay. You know, the last one turns 18, drop them off of college, serve them with divorce. And I I've done, I know I did a show on that because the, the developmental ages of your children, we all think it's so much harder when they're younger. And I, I have, I, I've seen it play out. I was young when my parents got divorced. Um, and, you know, I tell, there's this emotional, you know, ness that you feel, but they are so adaptable and they can go back and forth and they don't mouth off as much because I'm telling you, you're going to hear it from the older kids and they're going to have so much more resentment that I know some kids, some, you know, I've heard stories where they're like, why didn't you do this 10 years ago? Like, this was awful. Why did we have to live through that when 
you know, and now you do it, I'm gone. Like, great. And, and they're young adults. Their developmental stage is, it's just a different perspective they're going to have. So I think that that as a reason does a disservice again, yes, to yourself, your spouse and your kids. It really does. I agree. Well, I definitely wanted, I wanted to touch on abuse because I, I know in, in your many years of experience as well as mine, we've both seen it on, on so many, um, you know, fronts as far as physical, emotional, verbal, or financial abuse. And I think that is definitely a reason or, you know, an effect, you know, cause whatever of a divorce for sure. Absolutely. I mean, no one should stay in an abusive relationship. I mean, I feel that's a pretty hands down statement. You know, no one should stay in an abusive relationship. And because usually the underlying reason for the abuse is of the abuse is control. We talked about that a little bit earlier, that one person should not be controlled by the other person. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not married to a controlling person. And I'm not talking about it in that kind of vernacular. I'm talking about serious control where somebody's, uh, movement, their freedom, their ability to, to buy things and, and, and live their lives freely is compromised. And uh, I feel very strongly that that's just not right. And it definitely sets a terrible message and picture of marriage for your kids. And I, I think that that's reason enough to end it no matter how hard. I agree. That is, you know, I've been asked before, well, what do you think I should do? You know, should I get a divorce? If there's abuse, I definitely say you got to leave. Like you absolutely, that, that is one of those things where I'm like, no, you, you have to leave. Uh, otherwise, the other, all the other issues that we talked about, you're going to have to make that decision, you know, but when safety is an issue and um, there's just so many risks, that of course we've both seen in so many um, dangerous situations that can occur uh, for the family if there if there is abuse. Um, Absolutely, and in the divorce process, of course, there are going to have to be some additional protections put into place, and and it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be better. It is, and it's it's you know at least there is there are things that can be in place, and and it'll be worth it too, because your peace of mind and, you know, well-being as well as for your children is definitely worth it. I know that. Yeah. Well, Catherine, this has been such a pleasure. I really appreciate your time today. And I know that our listeners uh, appreciate it as well. I thank you so much for coming on our show. And um, of course, any, any listeners, they can catch um, your podcast at the Divorce Dialogues. Right. Yeah. On all of the mediums that you can listen to your podcast. Yes. And it's also on the podcast website, which is divorcedialogues.com. Lovely. Well, Catherine, thank you again so much for being here today. I really enjoyed our discussion. And um, for anyone who wants to reach out to Catherine, who does practice in New York, um, they uh, can find you the Miller Law Group. Is that correct? Yep. It's miller-law.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you once again, and I appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Women Winning Divorce. We hope you found information to help you navigate your divorce. If you like our show, please take the time to subscribe and provide a five-star review. If you need more information, please visit our website at womenwinningdivorce.com, where you will find previous episodes and other helpful content. Join us next week as we continue our journey of Women Winning Divorce. 
Domino's Mix and Match menu has items for every occasion. Flaked on your friend's open mic night? Flaky bread twists and molten lava cake should do the trick. Soccer team duty? Medium two-topping pizzas and stuffed cheesy bread are your best defense. Is it your dog's half birthday? Celebrate his biggish day with savory sandwiches and tender specialty chicken. Mix and match two or more items for $6.99 each at Domino's. Ask for this offer two-item minimum prices, participation, delivery area, and charges may vary. Bone and wings, bread bowl pasta, and pan pizza will cost extra. Local stores have delivery fees and can charge extra for some menu items.